Hi folks, Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And we're here today with a, another uh, discussion of technology, life, liberty, so, uh, oh, social media, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm joined here with a guy I've known on social media forever, and I wanted to get to know better, Chuck Gallagher. How are you, Chuck? Welcome to the show. Chris, I am great, and it's a delight to be on your show, buddy. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. We've been using the show to get to know a whole lot of people that I should be knowing a whole lot better. And I get your emails from your program. You're a business business ethics expert. Is that correct? Do I have That's that? correct. There you go. And I've always been interested in ethics. I took courses on it. And uh, I've always been interested in, you know, why people do what they do, how they do what they do, what motivates them, why they make the mistakes that they maybe make or make the choices in life they make. So this is a field that I've always been really, really interested. So give us some plugs of where we can find you on the interweb so people can be looking at your Twitter account and stuff like that. Well, of course, Twitter, it's Chuck Gallagher. And uh, the website is chuckgallagher.com. All of the social media links are there, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, interest, etc. So happy to connect with people from that perspective and answer any questions that may come up. And you're a good guy. I've known you for years on social media and uh, and uh, I've just always seen positive things from your stream and of course I'm on your email uh, thing too so I see your emails that come out. So uh, talk to us about ethics, what it's about, what you do. Uh, give us a broad spectrum of uh, or, or just tell us whatever you want I guess at this okay point. well so here's the deal Chris you know people number one ethics typically is boring well I, I I don't come from a particularly boring place when it comes to dealing with ethics and the choices that people made and so the short version would be this back in the 80s and you can tell I'm kind of an old guy with the gray hair thing they're going on but back in the 80s, I was quite a successful CPA, had been tax partner in a firm, testified before Congress, wrote articles, and taught continuing professional education courses. That was all the good stuff. The other side, the rest of the story was, I also was, let's say, um, overextended and underfunded. <laughs> I, I had way too much debt. So instead of doing the right thing, I did the wrong thing and created a Ponzi scheme. Oh, <laughs> Now, I didn't know what that was at the time. I just knew that I was finding a solution to a problem. And as I typically say now when I do an ethics presentation, every choice has a consequence. Yes. So the consequence of doing the wrong thing was in 1990, that whole thing just collapsed. It was like the house of cards collapsing. Yeah. And when that took place, uh, needless to say, I lost everything. Life completely changed. Um, yes, I was able to make restitution to the people that I embezzled money from, but that didn't make what I did right. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, the local district attorney thought I had, since I'd lost my license, lost my job, lost my possessions, and made restitution, he thought I'd, I'd probably paid a big enough price, but the... Department of Labor and IRS, thinking that I had somewhat a national reputation, did not feel quite the same. Wow. Um, of course, the IRS wanted to prosecute me for failing to pay tax on stolen money. Which, oh! That never really crossed my mind. I mean, I can't <clears throat> imagine 1040, line 23, other income, stolen money, but <laughs> that's the law. Holy crap. Uh, on October 2nd, 1995, I took 23 steps into federal prison. I became uh -huh. eleven six forty two zero fifty eight, and uh -huh. I am probably one of the few convicted felons that you've had on your show, or at least those that were willing to admit it. 
Those who were probably willing to admit it, I think, at this point. <laughs> willing to admit it. I understand that. But you're but being today, ethical in disclosing that. So that's well, good. you know, transparency actually works. It really does. Um, but, well, I think a lot of these things, they start out, you know, like you said, you got into it without... You probably were like, okay, well, I have a short-term cash flow problem. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna borrow a little bit from here, and then it'll be done. And then it ends up becoming this chasm that opens bigger and bigger. I mean, it, it probably, it usually starts out small that way. I'm assuming. That that that's true. It starts out small, and, and you know, nobody practically says, "I'm gonna be unethical." Mm -hmm. they, they, in fact, there's really three components that come together, and and it relates to every choice we make. Number one is need. Okay, well, in my case, I had a need for money. I was behind in my house payment. The banker was, you know, hollering at me, and, and I didn't want to lose face in the community, so I had a need. That was one. But the other is there was an opportunity. I happened to be trustee of a trust. So here's my need. Here's the opportunity or the ability to obtain funds from, you know, the, the, to, to satisfy the need. Mm -hmm. So... One circle, if you can imagine three circles, one circle is need, one circle is opportunity, and then the other circle would be rationalization. Mm -hmm. If I can convince myself that satisfying my need through the opportunity available is okay, then I'm not going to be unethical. <laughs> so, of course, in my case, I took money from the trust and rationalized that I was just borrowing money. Borrowing money. And when I paid it back, I solidified that. I mean, the rationalization was like cement. You know, here's a brick, here's a brick, and if I can cement those two together, I've got something that's a firm foundation. Well, when I paid it back, I convinced myself it, it really was borrowing, and I did it again, mm -hmm. and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And I did it again, and nothing happened. And eventually, I convinced myself that, well, there really is no consequence. I just have my own private little hedge fund. <laughs> well, that's not true. But that was that. That's how I convinced myself that going from rational, ethical behavior to unethical behavior was actually okay. This is what always interests me in in terms of the human psyche, is that that aspect of the death by a thousand cuts, small cuts, I should say. Um, you know, you, you early on when I was younger, I I remember uh, studying the the effects of where they, they kind of copied the Nazi Germany effect where in the 60s they brought people into a room and they slowly had them turn up the electro, what they thought was someone being electrified by not answering questions correctly. And they got up to really high levels of pain that they would be delivering to someone if it had really been possible. And they were using it with that death by a thousand cuts sort of mechanism, uh, letting people make one bad decision and then it builds right. and then it builds and then you know it justifies itself based upon the rationale that they've built so far yeah th that's true and that's what happens I, I refer to it typically as a slippery slope people start with something small no major outcome that leads to something else and, and you know in a practical workforce um, you know I might do something that is in my personal best interest but not the best interest of my customer you know, perhaps I want to sell them more than they truly need, and I know what the need is, but I, you know, if I oversell, my sales go up, my bottom line goes up, my quarter looks better, or if I'm working in a workforce, 
It may be something as simple as using the company computer, printing material for the kids' soccer league, um, but using the company printer, the company paper to be able to do it because, you know, who's going to use their inkjet printer at home to spend $700 worth of a gallon of ink to print this stuff? <laughs> so, so it seems simple, but it really becomes a slippery slope that takes you down paths you don't want to go. So you're making amends now by going completely the other way, teaching people about ethics, the importance of making the right choices. Tell us more about what you do now. Well, typically today, uh, I'll go out and speak to organizations, companies, or associations most of the time, sometimes universities. That's, a, that, that's an interesting experience. Uh, but, 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 but I'll go out and I'll talk with people about choices and consequences. Now, it's labeled ethics. But the reality is what I do is help people understand the human side of ethics. What is it that we do as human beings that allow us to take what we know to be wrong and somehow make it right? And, and it's kind of like, Chris, the other day I was driving. I live in Greenville, South Carolina. I was driving up toward Charlotte, and I noticed on the interstate in the, the center median there are little poles with a guy wire to keep people from crossing if, if, if they leave the road. Or on the right side, there's the little rumble strip. And it's like, well, why do they have that? Why did the state spend the money for that? And the answer is they want to keep people between the lines for safety. And what I try to do is help people understand how do you veer out of those lines and what can you do to create a culture of ethics in your organization? What can you do to kind of help keep people between the ethical lines so that when they are tempted, they don't make the wrong choice, or if they start to, it veers them back into making intelligent ethical choices. Mm -hmm. One thing that's interesting too, I've I've created and owned interest in a lot of different corporations, um, and and I've been a serial entrepreneur since eighteen. Uh, I read a lot of Tom Peters, a lot of great books uh, back in the day, um, and one thing I learned was. As a CEO, I always set the tone for ethics, morals, uh, basically how the corporation operates. But I, I've always learned that setting a proper moral environment or ethical environment uh, so that people feel that they're judged properly, that it's, you know, we're not running like a high school popularity contest, that if they work hard, they'll be rewarded for it, those sort of things. Um, that's important to me. I guess you probably work with CEOs and things along those lines, or, or at least organizations, huh? Well, that's true, and, and one of the things that I find is, you know, people will bring me in for one of two reasons, and it's, it's almost comical. One is because they truly, truly care about ethics, and they want to create that culture, what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, the other reason is, at the top, they're not necessarily modeling ethical behavior, but the United States sentencing guidelines provide that if you bring somebody like me in and I talk to your employees and somebody goes rogue, you can't be held criminally liable for that because you offered training. So, and, <laughs> so at one level, they want it because they care, or at the other level, I'm a legal defense. <laughs> We gave them sexual harassment training, but they still sexually harassed, so it's not our fault. Exactly. Even though we asked everyone to wear miniskirts to work on Friday. Oh, um, there you go. <laughs> the uh, so what are some what are some good ways? I don't I don't mean to delve into your bag of uh, proprietary well, business, but what are what are like what are some good ways people can just make good choices? Or is it is it really asking yourself? Okay, if I make this decision that I know is a little wrong, 
where does that take me? And really evaluating some of those small cuts. Well, some of the things, Chris, just from a practical perspective, the average human being is not going to do what you just said. They're not going to say, okay, I'm going to really make this choice. Now, what's the outcome? It, that's not natural. So, so part of it is we, we try to create what I want to refer to as muscle memory to do the naturally right thing. So two things, both are pretty simple. One is I need to be aware if my need changes. I mean, we all have just normal basic day-to-day -day needs. But if something happens, if I'm told, oh, gosh, you've just been diagnosed with cancer, and, oh, by the way, we don't have any health insurance or your deductible's $10,000, my need just changed. Mm -hmm. I've got a problem. My stress level's going up. My need changed. So anytime a person has a substantial need change, my wife tells me, we're getting a divorce, and, oh, by the way, I'm taking half of everything you have. My need just changed. So need change is a real critical factor to say, okay, maybe I need to be a little more careful because stuff like that will get me into trouble real quick. Mm -hmm. The other side is what's our self-talk? For example, um, self-talk would be, uh, but, yeah, but everybody does it. Yeah, everyone does Everybody it. does it's rationalizing that just because somebody's doing something wrong doesn't mean it's okay. Mm -hmm. I, I was on a show much like this not long ago, and it was kind of funny because the interviewer, that would be you in this case, but the interviewer had a, a, a child, and apparently the phone rang some other room, and, you know, five-year-olds love to answer the telephone. So five-year-old answers the telephone, comes busted in the room, and says, you know, Daddy, you got a call, to which the interviewer said, just tell him I'm in the shower. And it was like, okay, now let me get this. What you just taught your five-year-old was to lie, lie in a circumstance that you didn't want to deal with. And it's like, so what do we model for people? And maybe if we're just more conscious of it, we're less apt to do the wrong thing. Is there an evolution or a graduation of ethics? Um, years ago, when I, when I took a study, of course, of ethics, they talked about how as we develop as human beings, when we're very young, we're kind of assholes. We don't know any better. We just, you know, it's all about us, and we take whatever we want because we're just trying to survive. We we really haven't evolved to a conscious level, I think, at that point. You know, we're three to five years old. They even put ages on them, which was interesting. And then there was like a level two where, you know, your parents start teaching you consequences where, okay, uh, you being an asshole gets, you know, bad behavior, doesn't get you what you want, and there's consequences, and you start to learn from that level. And I think there was a third or fourth, I think there was a total of five levels. The fifth level was a Jesus Christ level, where you do things that are against the law, but they're morally right. It's a Gandhi sort of Jesus thing, and you're willing to sacrifice your life and your freedom in order to accomplish the better good of the human race. Right. Um, <clears throat> And then there's, I think there's like a level four where you do challenge government laws and 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 you look out for what's morally right. Is there an evolution that we go through? Is it parenting a big thing of that or what? I think there is an evolution that we go through. And Chris, right now, I think part of the challenge is that we're 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 stuck in this odd place in the evolution. Now, you know, you and I are, are never going to be at the Gandhi-Jesus level, so we can kind of eliminate level number five, and we've passed the child level. But the problem today is we're in this socially, politically correct 
area where the parents aren't always providing that direction for the kids so then you start seeing the kids age but not necessarily emotionally age to be able to deal with the ethical issues that are facing them and and there's no one there taking the responsibility of, of, of correcting that I have to tell you and this goes back now a number of years you know your social media guy I remember when you had brick cell phones yeah you know <laughs> but but I will never forget when when my now my oldest youngest son's 24 he was four at the time this 20 years and I'm driving down the road and he was being just a little hellion in the back seat and I reach around eventually and slap him on the leg because he just wouldn't shut up and I mm -hmm. felt bad so I pulled into McDonald's to get him a happy meal cop pulls behind me and flips on the lights and I'm like what someone 20 years ago on a cell phone called the cops and said I was abusing my child. <laughs> And I'm sitting there thinking, that was 20 years ago. So think about it today. I mean, today, well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's... You can't, you can't slap a child in public uh, today. And I mean, there's a lot of things that you can't do today that I, I know, you know, I, I got my share of, of, of switchings and things like that or direction from parents and aunts and uncles to say, hey, son, this is the, the wrong or the right thing to do. But we're really missing a lot of that in the adolescent years and into the early 20 years, and therefore we're seeing ethical choices and so forth age with folks. I, I, I don't think kids should be abused, but I think a good smack on the butt um, or pat on the face uh, is definitely, there's, there's a certain age or consciousness that you have to have that requires a physical element. Um, and and not overly abusive. I mean, I I learned with uh, doing a a short stint as a, uh, a pseudo stepfather um, <clears throat> in a living arrangement I had with a gal. I learned that I could accomplish much. Sort of, you know, spankings did nothing to this child. So I learned that if you just gave him a little pinch on the butt mm. when they were bad, that was better than a spanking because that thing would hurt for a day. Well, yeah, and you know, it's not to me, you know, for clarification to the audience, it's not so much about the physical side of it. It's just providing the direction and guidance. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, it's interesting to me how, you know, there's a, there's an old saying by one of my favorite sayings by Ron Brown. I think it's Ron Brown. No, as uh, a comedian, uh, someone can figure out who I'm referring to. But he, he makes the comment, "You can't fix stupid." And what's interesting to me is that. In life, we, of course, develop is in our age range. So you can look at me and go, this guy's been through, you know, probably 40 years of life. But you can't really look at my emotional and mental and ethical integrity, uh, graduation, evolution, or really even have any idea where I'm at. You can kind of talk to me for a short term and go, well, he seems like an honest guy, but would you loan me $10,000? I don't know. You might want to think about it. Um and so it's interesting to me how I can, you know, because partially is I like to identify these people because either either don't want to associate with people that have ethical, honesty, moral issues. Um, and also I want to keep them out of my business, of course, which is, which is uh, the other thing. And so it's interesting to me how people evolve at different levels and things of that nature. Well, it, it is, and, and, and that does happen, and then it becomes you know somewhat challenging. I was at a university not long ago, and I asked a simple question. You know, how many of you have a Facebook account? Of course, everybody raised their hand. How many of you, you know, have LinkedIn? Eh, a lot less. 
Well, so I'm going to ask a simple ethical question. How many of you think it's ethical for me as an employer to look at your Facebook account and determine whether I want to hire you or not? And the majority of the students said, no, that's unethical. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you can tell me it's unethical, but it's not illegal, and I will do it. So if you are so stupid to post all your drunken frat pictures there, and I'm trying to hire you in a financial services company, I won't. Because I don't believe you'll keep, you'll share too much when you're drunk. Yeah. And if you're dumb enough to publish that in the public forum, what are you going to do when you work for my company? You're going to take Absolutely. a picture of your, you're going to have our, our direct TV van. You're going to be standing out in front of it with your penis hanging out and posting that. And then we're going to have to, you know, have the PR firm for the company on that deal. Um and yeah, so do you think that in the case like that, for example, that's really a consequence thing where people aren't getting that there's consequences to their actions? Yeah, that, that, that's the problem, I think, is, is with the, what I will refer to as the younger generation. But what I'm talking about are the, you know, we'll, we'll call it junior high to late 20s. And I, I know I'm categorizing people in general, but that group doesn't really seem to completely connect the dots to choices have consequences. Mm -hmm. And part of that is, at least my generation and perhaps yours, I learned early on choices had consequences because somebody told me or showed me, although, in fairness, Chris, I really learned it when I marched my happy butt into federal prison. <laughs> that cemented it for me. Yeah. Well, I know, I know the, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had friends, and this is kind of why it's been a study, because one or two were in my business, but I've had friends that I was really close to that I watched the development of the one lie beget the two lies, beget the three lies, beget the four right. lies, and, and sometimes it became a point where I, I was really wondering about the mental stability of the person or their ability to to live within the world of, of reality because they built so many lies and they would repeat them and they would go over and over the and everyone they meet they they tell the same pile of lies to and it was it was interesting because I would sit kind of almost like uh, in the audience and I just sit and watch them lay down this foundation of one lie after another after another my apologies I I just got some emergency alert on my phone. Um, and it was interesting to me how intricate they were and interconnected, and they just they just grew like a tree. Just one right. lie. And right. just just this whole thing of lies. And there was two there's two people that have been in my life where they had so many lies that there was nothing true ever. Right. I, I'm not even sure if they knew what the truth was. Right. And they probably didn't. And, and, and listen, I'll say this, you know, from to some extent some personal experience. If you build the lie and you start the lie and you complete, you repeat it over and over, you create an illusion and you start to believe the illusion. You start to believe the BS that, mm -hmm. you're, that you're saying. And, and, and in all honesty, there are studies that show that people who have done that and have become so serial at it could easily pass a lie detector test because they have in their self-talk or talk outside of themselves convince themselves that this is the, this is the truth when yeah, in reality it's, it's not true at all that's what I watched in their repetition lie because even they would tell me the same pack of lies four or five times and you're sure. like you'd be like dude 
you already told me, I already know the story. In fact, I'm kind of watching and it's kind of entertaining in a sick sort of way. But for me, I, it's a behavior thing. I like watching people and their behaviors and then trying to understand how messed up they are or if they're messed up, I suppose. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, one, one thing I, one thing I read a long time ago, it was really interesting to me because I've been single most of my life <clears throat> is, is, uh, you know, a lot of people choose who they mate with and who they have in their partners uh, based upon, you know, a million different variations of attractiveness, I suppose. Uh, but one thing I heard that really made sense to me, they said, you know, women, because women make, usually make a lot of lists of who they want to have in, uh, and propagate their, their family. And the one, most important thing you can have in finding a life partner or, for me, interacting with business partners, people I want to have as friends, the number one value you want to look for that they have is integrity. Right. And if they have integrity, if they have good morals and, and ethics and stuff, um, then everything else will probably fall into place because they have integrity that will work towards making whatever they're short on better. You know, if they're not as good as this, that, or the other. But if they lack integrity, you're pretty much screwed and stuck with what you got. <laughs> that, that's true. That, that, that's very true. And, and the circumstance then ends up turning out, if you lack integrity, you will break trust. And mm -hmm. if you break trust, whether it's a relationship with a, a spouse, significant other, or if it's in your work, if someone cannot trust you, then there, there is no foundation to be able to move forward. And, yeah, I, and I think that's such a key thing in talking about um, ethics with people is it, it really is about trust, and, and you have to really know yourself to know, okay, there are boundaries that we have, and, and we need to be able to look for those so that we stay within those ethical lines or the lines of integrity. Yeah, most definitely. <clears throat> it's, it's an interesting thing to me. It, it's... Uh, you know, I've seen I've seen a lot of people that will whitewash themselves a religion, but I wouldn't trust them with the dollar. Um, right. And and they they kind of well, I I go to church every Sunday, and and I'm not talking about everyone who's in a religion. I'm I'm just talking about some of the people that I've done business with that have been ethically, morally corrupt. Um, and I I don't know, maybe you can I guess their attitudes you can steal some someone on this Wednesday as long as you repent on Sunday. But it, it almost seems like they're they have this huge drive to be ultra religious, to be ultra righteous, but they seem to have no consequence to what they do uh, when it comes to right and wrong. I'm not talking about everybody. I'm just talking about a few of the evil people sure. that I've been in contact with. But it's it was interesting to me how they whitewash themselves in the church. A lot of times they would rip off other members of the church, uh, different churches. Um, you know, they would they would use the church as a way to. Uh, basically rip people off, if that well, makes any sense. An unethical person or a person that believes the illusions they create, one is fulfilling some sort of need, the church may be the opportunity, they're rationalizing somehow how this comes into play for them, and, and the unfortunate thing is, you know, they can create a lot of harm for a lot of people, and as long as they don't see a consequence, they eventually believe there is none, until there is, and when there is, that downfall is uh, generally swift, hard, and very painful. Just look <laughs> at Bernie Madoff, you know, a, a, a brilliant man, outstanding career, who will end his life in federal prison. 
And you really, I mean, I remember there was a story um, a long time ago. I can't remember who told it. It was back, you know, a long time ago um, in the uh, Acres of Diamonds era. And I can't remember who the radio personality was. But he told a story about how there was this artist who went broke. And he couldn't make he couldn't make any money, and so he was a fairly good artist. And he started making twenty dollar bills or hundred dollar bills, twenty dollar bills, whatever. He started counterfeiting money by painting it, uh-huh. and he got very good at it, and started doing it on a regular basis. <clears throat> and uh, at one point, you know, one of the cashiers noticed the ink coming off on her fingers, called the cops. Cops busted him. He goes to jail and dies in jail for counterfeiting money. Mm-hmm. Interesting enough, the artwork they found that he'd done in his attic sold for millions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you look at a Bernie Madoff, who's who are usually brilliant. Most of these guys are brilliant. Um, if if you can call in, in in some cases, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Psychosis, uh, psychotic. Some psychotics are brilliant. Um, right. in their application of themselves. So, uh, let me ask you this: What, what, what do you? You kind of made a joke about when you go to universities. It's a bit different uh, as we start out. Do you think there's a generational issue that we're having with ethics and integrity right now with the newer generation coming to market? Well, I think so. I, I think, it, honestly, Chris, I think every generation. Number one, ethics is is a function of doing the right thing based on all the facts and circumstances. Now, if you went back to the 1100s or 1200s. You know, to say the earth was round was heresy. Well, <laughs> you know, but they didn't know any better. Now I think there's a generational issue because um, my generation, we'll call it the baby boom generation, sees the creation of something as an opportunity to sell something. <laughs> um, the younger generation believes it should be free. And I'm yeah. still mystified by the whole notion, and I love it by the way, but the whole notion of YouTube, I can post all my videos, I don't have to make DVDs anymore, I can send links, and it costs me nothing to have hours of material that's available for free. Yeah. And I'm, I'm blown away by that, but the generation today that's in the, this, especially the social media, technological, creative phase, sees the world much different as it, we are here to help each other, and and it and it shouldn't cost anything. And is it, um, is, it is it that attitude that we're here to help everything, or is it that it's owed to them? You know, I, well, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's like, and listen, you, you probably know which one I'm talking about, but there was, uh, uh, it, it was the 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 text chat feature that somebody just bought Facebook or something. Yeah, but you know, you you have some of these, and it was like, well, why would somebody buy this? This this chatting or, or texting feature, and it's like, well, it's because people in third world world countries would normally have to pay for texting, but you know, gosh, that should be free to them so they can communicate. Mm-hmm. Well, that wouldn't connect in my head, but it connects in the minds of, you know, people who say it, it, it's almost a fundamental right to be able to communicate. Why should I have to pay to send a text? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting difference. One of the things that I, I was very important in learning, and I wish I'd learned it earlier, was <clears throat> was the aspect of uh, criminal behavior where people are pretty much lifelong criminals. And in in criminal tech, what's it called? Criminal technology, criminal uh, the study of criminology. Um, they found that people that are lifelong criminals, they have a basis of belief that the world owes them 
something. The world yes, owes them everything. Yes, as a criminal, that would be correct. A, yeah. a, a true criminal people, believes that they're owed something. Yeah, they're just constantly, they're just constantly, uh, they just never quite get it, right. no matter what happens. And that's why they're in prison for life. Um, right. But it's interesting to me, a lot of the, seeing a lot of that in the millennial generation, uh, there's a real, I mean, there's a real shift when I owned companies and had thousands of employees where where we saw the millennial generation coming in, Generation Y, uh, coming into our businesses where the, there was a real shift in the tonality of responsibility and giving a shit just in general. Right. Um, taking pride in your work and uh, um, and everything else. Um and uh, you know, I've been through I've been through issues like where I'll never forget one time I was sitting, I had a guy sitting in my office, and for some reason we were having a discussion, and and he started telling me about how he takes staplers and staples and all sorts of supplies out of our supply closet and takes them home and supplies his home office with him, and he's just telling this to me, not realizing that I'm the fifty one percent owner controlling interest in the corporation. <laughs> No shit. I mean, he just starts telling me a story. Like, oh. I mean, you've seen that commercial. I think it's Geico or something where he's like, hey, I know how to get great batteries in the supply closet. That's He was like bragging to me about this great idea that he'd invented. And uh, I sat there just horrified and shocked looking at him, just going, wow, this you have no idea where this conversation is going to end. And it's not going to end well for you. Right. Uh, right. And I said, and, and I said, uh, you're stealing stuff out of our supply closet, and he goes, he goes, no, 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 it's a big corporation. No one gets hurt. It's a, it's a, it's a corporation, and you know, there's not really uh, anyone that gets really hurt with this. <laughs> and I said, well, you don't understand. There's two people that own this corporation. I own 51 percent. My partner owns 49 percent. So you're stealing from me. And he actually tried to argue with me that that wasn't. He's like, no, you don't understand. It's all just kind of whatever. <laughs> no, you're stealing from me, and you're fired. <laughs> yeah, you know, Chris, you, you, that's a great story. And you listen to the story, and you sit there, and you think to yourself, okay, that guy is sitting there telling you his rationalization yeah. for why it's okay to steal. Yeah. And, you know, and to me, that's the kind of thing, if I'm sitting in a, in, in a corporate audience – Great story. I might use that, by the way, with your permission, sure, but I can think about it because that's rationalization. And gosh, if we can get people to quit subconsciously doing that crap and consciously yeah. think, the hell am I saying here? Because if I can rationalize behavior, because it's just a corporation or everybody does it or whatever, at least I can become more conscious of the choices that I'm making. Because well, he got have... an outcome he didn't expect. Exactly. You feel free to use the story. I mean, it was in shock to me because I'm just sitting there, and it, it, it didn't come out during a disciplinary thing. It just we were just sitting there having a chat, and he right. decides to share with me this uh, this uh, barnacle of knowledge that he's he's uh, <laughs> he's gotten wise to. And uh, you know, I mean, I mean, technically, you know, I, I've had employees come in and and call me all sorts of names, and uh, I'll never forget. I want to have you on again because I got I got a whole mess of stuff I want to talk to you about. Um, 
I have someone coming probably fairly soon to work on the car, so if I wrap quickly, you'll know why. Um, but we'll, we'll just go until he knocks. He's a mechanic. Well, and, and, and actually, i got a show here in just a few minutes, so we'll need right. to wrap it up anyway. Okay. So we're going to have you back on. We'll talk about a few different I'd things. I'd love to come back but, on. Uh, you know, I, I actually had a, a case where an employee came into my office, and we disciplined her several times, and she'd reached a point where she wasn't collecting the money she needed to on appraisals for mortgages. And she was costing us more monthly on on what we were paying her. Uh, she was costing us more than we were paying her in sure. defaulting on this thing. She right. was basically over doubling, almost tripling her uh, income <laughs> by not doing a job. Right. And uh, she went through about four or five disciplinary warnings, notices, and it was finally getting to a point where it was time to go. Um, and... Uh, after the last disciplinary thing, I mean, she'd been told that the next time was zero. Well, she must have hit it again. And uh, she came to my office and she started telling me, you know, calling me every four-letter word in the book, everything in, in between. And I just sat there listening to it. And I actually turned to my bar behind me and poured myself a glass of scotch, offered it to her while she cussed me out. And uh, then when she got done, <clears throat> she, uh, she said to me, uh, I go, well, are you are you done? And she goes, yeah. And I go, well, uh, are you going back to work? Are you quitting? What are you doing? I don't know. And she goes, you're not going to fire me? And I'm like, no. Because you pretty much just said to me what everybody else says to me. So I actually have a little bit more respect for you that you can call me a fucktard to my face than some of the people who just do it behind my back. So you're welcome to continue working here. I know how you feel about me. Great. Honestly, honestly, I've thought every boss I have is an asshole. So... If you think I'm an asshole, then I'm just fulfilling my job description. Welcome to the authoritarian world. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, maybe I should have kept the employee who was stealing out of the supply closet. Uh, I don't know he, that. At least he was willing to admit it. Yeah, well, he admitted it, but you did remove the barnacle from the ship. So great yeah. for you, buddy. You know, it's just it was just the stupid part of it. You know, I'm just yeah, like, well, if you're this fucking dumb. Now, making unethical choices is stupid, and the outcome sucks. And yeah. I, I, think it, I think it's good to try and have that secondary voice in your head that goes, am what I'm doing is right? Is this the right pattern? And hopefully we each have a, our own sort of good litmus test or good, I don't know, bearing on life or we develop one. And I, 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 I want to talk some more in the next time we get together about, you know, parents and how they can teach stuff. My, my mom did the same thing. She, she would be like, say I'm in the shower, and you're like, you're not. You're just eating pie or something. Right. <laughs> but she would try, you know, she would beat the crap out of us, and we told a lie. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, I, we, we all probably have had that. Maybe it's a little less today in some cases than others. And, Chris, I welcome the opportunity to come back on, and, you know, maybe we can focus a little bit on uh, ethics and social media and some of the stupid stuff that people do. Yes. In fact, I want to talk about uh, Mark Cuban's recent statements. So hopefully we'll have you back soon. Uh, Chuck, give us your uh, give us your uh, social media links there and every place we can find you on the internet. The easiest place to go is first to the website chuckgallagher.com. Gallagher is G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R. And, of course, the connection to uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, etc., uh, Google Plus, it's all there. Welcome to uh, to, to to accept requests and and happy to come converse with folks whenever they uh, 
ask the uh, questions as to whether it's ethical or not. And I appreciate being on the show, Chris. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about some more stuff, so I'll look forward to that. Thanks, Chuck. And, of course, you know me, the Chris Voss Show. You can see it anywhere. Go to 8Lee.com, 8Lee.com, one of our sponsors, and check out the forthcoming 8Lee app. This thing's going to be a game changer and a mind blower. Thanks again, Chuck. We'll look forward to having you again, and thanks for the wonderful knowledge. Pleasure. Thanks, Chris. All right.